Hello and welcome to a season of late episode of the History of Yucatan Football podcast. Um, sort of, if you've listened to the last episode, you know I sort of trailed, trailed this um, at the end of that particular episode. Um, that would be going through two things, really. The uh, European groups of international football and the European groups of club football. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing. Obviously we did uh, the podcast just before the playoff stages of uh, Champions Europa and Conference League. Um, and not all of our sides have come through, regrettably. Uh, I think probably the side that came closest to the didn't, obviously Rijeka, uh, going out in extra time to Lille, um, incredibly creditably. Uh, over those two games but unfortunately uh, the French side just too much for them in the end but we'll go on about the international games uh, seeing as they've been most recent in the memory Um, as everyone knows of course international weeks in football are the weeks that everyone hates really aren't they um <laughs> but it, particularly if you mean a scotland fan and we lost to england um that's a bad thing but um we'll go through the sides <laughs> in the region that people listening to this actually care about um <laughs> unlike scotland and um, we'll start off in group c with north macedonia fantastic week for them um Opening up with a draw uh, at home to Italy. Um, going 1-0 down before a fantastic goal from Ennis Bardi brought them back late on. Um, conditions in Skopje weren't great. Um, I think there was like, quite a lot made in the Italian media uh, and also by Goran Pandev as well um, in the run-up to the game of how poor the pitch was. Um, there's a little video going around um, where you know you could see clear bare patches on it um it's one of those where you know obviously it's been exceptionally hot um in the region and the pitch just hadn't held up to it um but it doesn't really matter you know they got the they got the point and italy are in quite a bit of trouble i think it's fair to say um in terms of their hopes of qualifying for euro 2024 uh, they have um playoff spot guaranteed but um you know as the week has ended, uh, you have England, who are pretty much through now on 13 points, then Italy, Ukraine, and North Macedonia all on seven. Um, really, the big issue for there's two big issues for North Macedonia. One is that they lost 7 0 to England um, <laughs> before this particular one, which means their goal difference is absolutely screwed. Um, and two is that they've played the easy game of the second of the return fixtures, as it were. Um, The second game of this week was uh, away to Malta uh, and, unsurprisingly, won that comfortably 2-0. Managed to put things to bed very early, indeed. Um, Elif Almas scoring in the fifth minute, then Jovan Manev uh, in the 41st. It's been, I think, a very productive international break for them. Um, Specifically, that they've actually been able to bring through players um at least get a new level of performance from them uh the second game against malta was um punctured by a, a, a potentially serious injury to jokas Zykov. but jovan manev um for some sort of really coming into the squad from the outside 
um, did really well in both games. Um, as did Yanni Atanasov as well. You know, there's two players who are wanting to break into this squad, wanting to break into this group, wanted to be uh, featuring more, and both did their cases absolutely no harm whatsoever. Um, I think you know, that is probably one of the real takeaways is that they've actually this international break been able to bring in fringe players and get a result from them. Um, okay, you'd expect them to get that against um, Malta. No offence to Malta. But that they're able to do really creditably against Italy as well. You know, Agon Alessi in that particular game uh, did very well so, yeah, coming from the outside of the group um, and improve, improving and assisting them to get the result. I think it's fair to say that North Macedonia's national pool um, so this core pool of players they're going to use feels like over the past week and a half it's grown by a couple of players um, in terms of their games coming up next up is a trip to uh, Ukraine so that is hosted in Poland I believe um, that's where they hosted the, the uh, game against England so I don't see why it'd be any different uh, then a trip to Italy uh, October is a game away against Ukraine, then they have a friendly hosting Armenia, then in November their final two games are away to Italy, home against England. Um, really, if they want to hold any hope of getting through, they need to beat Ukraine in Ukraine. Um, I think really we're sort of seeing the absolute choke job they did in the June, in the first of the June games at home to Ukraine, uh, you know, going 2-0 up and then losing 3-2, that's probably going to be what's utterly terminal for their chances, more so than having a goal difference far worse than everyone else. Um, Group D, we have Croatia. A uh, very good week for them, uh, no doubt about that. Battered Latvia 5-0. Very impressive in doing so, and um, you know, we saw a very good performance from Luka Ivanisic uh, there which is oh, because a real positive because you know for Ivanovic he's been one of those players who hasn't ever really looked that impressive in uh, in the national uniform. What missed out on the World Cup after a really poor start to last season, gradually brought it back in the second half of last season. Has obviously you know now moved along from Dinamo to Feyenoord. And then has been able to translate that form into an improvement at national level uh, as well. That's a real positive for him personally. Second game, much more difficult game. Um, a 1-0 win away in Armenia. Armenia are a decent side. Um, you know, And I think one of the thing, big takeaways from that game is that their goalkeeper, Ognjen Kancharevic, um, who is you know, naturalised it's fair to say, naturalised and really is a Serbian, uh, put in an exceptional performance uh, in that particular game. Uh, you know, absolutely man of the match um, there and really kept the score down. Uh, <laughs> Croatia in that game, of 90 minutes, 26 shots, 8 of which are on target, 9 blocked as well. Um, you know, the amount of saves, made 7 saves. So really, you know, that could have easily gotten to 4 or 5 
had on a different day had he not been involved. Um, but again, it's a, a, a productive one. You know, Armenia, I don't think, is ever an easy trip, an easy away trip, just because of the, you know, really, it's a really hot place and a really dry place. Um, so it is always one which is a bit difficult. And also, Croatia's record, if you sort of look historically under Zarko Dalic, they tend to have in, in two game international week, one good game, one absolute mare. Um, and they put in two good games. So that's a result for them. Uh, in terms of how that leaves Group D standing, it puts Croatia on top uh, with a game in hand on everyone else. Uh, so it's Croatia and Turkey on 10 points, Armenia and Wales on 7. In terms of Croatia's October games, that's hosting Turkey, then away in Wales. Four points from there, I think we'll probably see it done, because I can't really see Croatia dropping points against Latvia and Armenia in the November games. Um, you know, really, if they're, assuming they go, th if they're able to go through the October games unbeaten, they will be through um, virtually, if not mathematically. Two wins, obviously, they will be mathematically through. And I, I think four points, you're probably on the brink of being mathematically through. The point is, Croatia, very, 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 very likely going to the Euros. Um, we skip on to Group G now. Uh, which obviously is one which features two sides uh, that we have our interest in, Montenegro and Serbia. Um, an interesting week, I think, for both those sides. We'll start with Montenegro, because I think Montenegro had the more positive week. Um, they threw it away against Lithuania, um, taking the lead in the 89th minute uh, through Stefan Savic uh, volley before Ferocianic. Um equalised in the last minute of injury time uh, to make that one a two-all draw. But not a terrible result, I don't think. Uh, and I think one of the things you've got to sort of bear in mind, we'll touch on in a moment, um, Montenegro were a little bit in flux. They had a couple of injuries, um, specifically Nikola Jovetic, um, not able to start that game, or in fact either game, um, just due to I think a general lack of fitness, really. Um, and, you know, from that, they did lack a little bit in attack. Um, you go to the, the second game, however, uh, of the week against Bulgaria. Uh, okay, it's a home game for Montenegro, winning it 2-1. But not just winning it 2-1. They won it 2-1 having been with 10 men uh, for most of the second half. Um, Stefan Savic... Scoring again at the start of the at the end of the first half before Igor Vujicic got sent off for two yellows, giving away a penalty. That would then be saved. Um, they would then have Nikola Kirstovic get taken off with an injury. Um, Bulgaria equalised in seven times minute before Stefan Jovetic, and again it's always Jovetic, isn't it? Um, managing to get the winner in the 96th minute. Um, it puts Montenegro on uh, eight points, um, which is a pretty good return for them, really. And it's got them in live, in, in the reckoning. I think we, with them, it's quite, they're a little bit in flux. Um, you know, I think Stefan Jovetic, absolute excellent player, 
is a legend. And I think for Montenegro, he will be f- to Montenegro what Edin Dzeko is to Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, but they're in a little bit of flux there. You know, you have, as I mentioned, Nikola Kistovic, absolutely ripping up trees in Italy at the moment. Um, you have Milutin Osmajic coming through. How good is he going to be? I'm not 100% sure. Um, you know, I, th- I think might be a little bit of recency bias in terms of his uh, last season in Spain. But still, you know, he's going to be a very good option to have. Um, but then you also have Viktor Djukanovic. And Djukanovic at Hanmovi is, again, an absolutely fantastic player. I think really long-term he's probably the replacement for Jovetic. But naturally sits out a little bit wider from Jovetic. Um, which means there's maybe not the gap for him in the squad as things stand. Um, I think it's going to be quite an interesting uh, quandary for um, Mijar Kudulovic to sort out in terms of how he actually gets the attacking talent he's got all on the pitch at the same time. Um, I mean, one one space has been made free, at least, by um, Sead Haksabanovic, who um, initially initially pull out of the team and she said oh I'm going to have to join late um, because I'm uh, you know, s- still finalising things because I've just moved to Stoke from Celtic and I oh okay you know they had a little bit of criticism you know we think you should put things aside and make and prioritise the international team and then Haksimanovic decided instead of actually sorting out what he was doing he was pictured on holiday um, <laughs> and I think you could probably imagine how well that went down um, so Montenegro third in the group at the moment on 8 points behind Hungary and Serbia both on 10 Hungary have a game in hand on everyone um, so they are obviously favourites to qualify for Serbia lost to Hungary in the first game uh, and I think you know, really a real amount of criticism about the setup of the side in that particular game quite rightly um, you know it was against Hungary who are the second best the, the best slash second best side in the group let's just say you know they're the one side in the group who are as strong as at least as Serbia um, in you know they've always been in good form so what did Pixie do he just put out a side that was all out attack and it was naive uh, in the extreme and Hungary took advantage winning 2-1 uh, against Lithuania they were managed a 3-1 win hat-trick from Alexander Mitrovic um, and a slightly more pragmatic side um, but also yeah, I think what they had was they were able to be very effective because they had Filip Mladenovic on the left um, who you know, we'll just whip in but fast balls, uh, hard to defend crosses for fun. Uh, and you know, that was 90 minutes really that you didn't see Lithuania play much of anything at all. Uh, even then, they did manage to score. Um, but you know, that was after the 3 0 down. Um, you look at the October games that they have, well, as you mentioned, Hungary host Serbia in the first of those then Serbia host Montenegro it's going to be decisive I you know, I think really there's very little doubt I think that Serbia will qualify but you know, I don't think you can come in it with loads of confidence Montenegro 
the Serbia game is the only game that they have currently scheduled um, for that particular international break. So they may all be coming in having had a little bit more time to train, a little bit more time to rest. Um, always going to be uh, a big factor for sides. And they'll look to upset the apple cart. Um, really, for Montenegro, their challenge, I think, for next round is just make sure that you're still alive going into November um, because if you are then you have a chance if you ultimately if Montenegro lose to Serbia that's them done pretty much uh, this time around for this qualification campaign but um, I think for Serbia it's probably a case where just the fact that it's going to go down to the Montenegro game uh, going as late into the qualification campaign for them as that is a bit of a negative for them um, see that leaves us with three sides to cover which are Slovenia who top group H at the moment group H is just a absolute dumpster fire uh, if you want to predict anything um, just to run through the top four of the, that group we have Slovenia on 13 points uh, who lead on goals scored from Denmark also on 13 points who are one point ahead of Finland on 12 points who are level with Kazakhstan on 12 points. <laughs> um, so predict that one at your peril. Very clearly, it's been a good um, international week for Slovenia in terms of they beat Northern Ireland 4-2. Elements of that were very impressive, um, specifically Benjamin Zesko, um, unsurprisingly, two assists to one goal in that game. Um, but defensively, see, not so great, but I think you can sort of um, maybe not forgive, but let them off with that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that they had is probably something that wasn't optimal uh, left back. Um, and you know, the central pairing of Adam Nestor-Shaleen and Timmy Maxelsnik, great, but is neither of those really are the most natural players. They want to get have the ball at feet and they want to drive on. Um, so... I think it's probably what you'd expect. Then they went to San Marino and won 4-0. Again, as you'd expect. But all you can ask from them is getting six points. And, you know, they had a more attacking game. Sorry, an even, an even more attacking lineup there. But we were, were able also to rotate a lot of players in. Um, the exceptional player, Zankar Nishnik, um, with a goal and two assists there. Um, certainly his most productive game in international colours, even if uh, perhaps not the most surprising game for him to choose to, to do that. In the next international break, they host Finland, they go away to Northern Ireland. Really, you're looking at that Finland game. Um, I think the return fixture in June, Finland did I think outcast them, um, outsmart them, uh, particularly uh, early on. Uh, when Slovenia sort of woke up, it was in the last half hour or at the end of phases, and by that point the game was sort of done. Um, they can't afford to do that again. Slovenia need to win that game. If Slovenia are able to win that game and then go to Northern Ireland and get a result, a win or a draw, you know, then they're in the box seat for qualification, uh, definitely. Um, because you sort of look at the last two games, it's away to Denmark and then hosting Kazakhstan. You would expect them to beat Kazakhstan in Slovenia. Uh, that's no disrespect to Kazakhstan whatsoever, but you know they are a bit reliant on their home form 
because you know having 3,000 miles to travel is a bit of an advantage for teams. Um, we move down into Group I, Kosovo. Um, the first two games of Primoz Gliha as permanent manager of Kosovo after his uh, spell as um, interim caretaker, whatever it was, in 2021. Um, and Kosovo still haven't won a game in this group. Um, drew two all against Switzerland, an exceptionally creditable result. Switzerland didn't really turn up, I think it's fair to say. Um, were very disappointed on night. Then uh, they travelled to Romania. Uh, the game had a delay of about 30 minutes after um, banners were unfurled in the ultras section of the Romania support. Um, it was the old Serbian flag with Kosovo with Serbia written over it, which is, you know, it's classic. Uh, I've not actually seen that at a Serbian league game for a while. Um, so it probably goes to show just how much they've been, uh, they, they dragged that one out. Um, there was um, racially charged chanting as well. It's also fair to say, you know, I mentioned Kosovo with Serbia, that wasn't the only ethnically related banner that was produced at that point. Um, there were multiple issues there, let's just say, and UEFA I'm sure will be looking at and throwing a book at um, Romania for that particular instance, set of instances. But um, Kosovo lost that game 2-0. Uh, Vedat Marici sent off for two yellow cards just before the end of the first half, and after that unsurprisingly you know they weren't really able to do much from an attacking uh, perspective. And, uh, you know, while Romania did leave it late, 83rd and 93rd minute goals, ultimately, if you're playing the full, the full second half down to 10 men, you're always going to be in trouble and you're always going to be likely to give up late goals. Um, so Kosovo sit fourth in the group on four points uh, <laughs> with four draws and two defeats. Um, in terms of the gap to the, the sides above them, Israel a third on 11, Romania on 12, Switzerland top on 14. There's no chance, really, that Kosovo are going to qualify. You know, Even if they win out, they're only going to get on to 16 points. Um, so that, yeah, this this round is done. I think it's fair to say, you know, really, they've been hamstrung not by um, these two results, but by the results earlier in the group, um, particularly not beating Andorra at home, you know, I think you could certainly make a case where Kosovo on six points that Romania might be reachable for them, but no, uh, we're, we're looking at uh, 2026 qualification now for Kosovo. Finally, we get around to Bosnia, um, who are just in a mess. <laughs> I think that's being generous. Um, Meho Kodro was appointed last month. Um, the rumour is that he's going to get fired um, after this... <laughs> After those two games, um, and even still, you know, they're not two games that were especially worse than anything they'd done before. Um, they beat Liechtenstein two-one uh, at home. As a Scottish fan, I am very, very used to um, Nadir's of the side being defined by squeaky victories over the uh, people from the Duchy of Liechtenstein, um, and this was one of them. Um, all the goals done in the first 20 minutes um, and while Bosnia were dominant as you would expect you know you have 76 possession 76 percent possession but they only had nine shots all game to 
account for it. They had 11 corners. You know, it, it really puts into perspective. Liechtenstein put in a really organised, um, decent defensive performance. Bosnia put in a really uninspired, um, boring attacking one. They then travelled to Iceland and got beaten 1-0. Um, Iceland very much, I think, are a, a faded force. Um, you know, a lot of while they do have good players in the side, you know, obviously Johan Berg Gudvinsson uh, as as the main one. You know, they aren't, they don't have the strength that they did four or five years ago. Um, what they do have is a good coach in Arka Hreider and a good organisation, and they they know what they're doing. Uh, Bosnia didn't. Um, I think it's fair to say again, you know, had really the lion's share of possession, sixty percent were able to produce a better creative performance than they did against Liechtenstein, which says its own story, but didn't score, didn't really do anything, do enough to threaten too much. Um, you know, when they got the big chances, they missed. They got, they got themselves into the positions that just weren't good enough. Um, it is, it's sad to say, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, they managed to get themselves the chances in the box and didn't do anything with them. They travel to Liechtenstein next, and then they host Portugal, who are obviously currently fresh off giving Luxembourg the worst defeat in their history. Um, but again, I think Bosnia are probably done for this particular campaign. Um, they sit in Group J on six points, just in behind Iceland, but it's fair to say um, Iceland have a positive goal difference. Bosnia have a minus four goal difference, which isn't great. Um, and you have Luxembourg then on 10 points, Slovakia on 13 points, Portugal on 18 points. It's very likely that when Bosnia do face Portugal, that will be the game in which Portugal secure their qualification. Uh, so it's unlikely they're going to have them in a giving mood, let's put it that way. And yeah, the, the qualification hopes, I think, are pretty much nil. Uh, at this point, unfortunately for them, and unfortunately for the long-suffering Bosnian fans, um, I think it is really fair at this point now to describe them as long-suffering because they have a decent enough side, uh, but they don't have anyone who knows how to put them together into a, a squad uh, or an actual cohesive unit, regrettably. Uh, and, you know, I think you've got Jacko, you've got Pjanic, there now, you know, obviously, Pjanic 33 and gone to uh, the Middle East, Dzeko 37 now, uh, you talking about your real core players there who are now uh, approaching the twilight of their career, although <laughs> as much as one should never doubt um, Edwin Dzeko's ability, yeah. And he's not going to be getting more effective than he was uh, previously. Now he's 37. Um, so that leaves us as I think, an interesting bunch of fixtures. Croatia, Serbia, I think... Croatia look now almost certain to qualify. Serbia, probables to qualify. Slovenia, absolute knife edge in that group. For everyone else, it's not looking great. Uh, unfortunately. Um, we'll move to club football for a moment. Um, just really to say, pay attention to a, a particular game this weekend. Um, always um, always boost um, 
Well, I think I will always boost Slovenian games um, because it is the uh, derby this weekend between Olympia and Maribor, who currently I think are really competing to who's going to be second in the league behind Cellier, um, which is an interesting way to look at things. I think um, maybe something some people may not agree with me for saying, but yeah, Cellier look really really good under Albert Riera. Olympia haven't quite meshed yet. Maribor are in touch but I'm kind of surprised that they are in touch they've not impressed me yet this season um, they've been very reliant on Anna Jukupovic uh, also just a, a brief mention in Serbia um, for Serbian matters um, that Sven is just six games in obviously they did lose a game they you know they lost a league game it may surprise people to know that is a thing that they actually sometimes happens um, but with six games into the season and they're still not even top of the table they sit one point behind TSC and of the two they have the more challenging game this weekend uh, travelling away to Kukurichi whereas TSC hosts Celestin Carpanchevo Partizan surprisingly enough have got off to a decent start to the season um, sat on 13 points so very much in touch um, they look to have a couple of good players but also I think they've been a bit fluky as well, um, which you know is going to even itself out as a season goes on. Speaking of Zvezda, that leads us straight into the Champions League, doesn't it? Um, we'll, we'll just quickly run through really the groups um, that our sides have got. Um, Zvezda have been put in Group G. G for get me out of here I didn't want to play City um, I believe is how it's actually titled um, yes <laughs> they've been drawn against the reigning European champions uh, against Red Bull Leipzig no sorry Rassenball Leipzig uh, not Red Bull uh, tell me off there uh, and Young Boys of Bern um, really intriguing draw I think I'm quite interested to see how Zvezda get on um, this time around, I think they will be quite an attacking and high pressing outfit uh, even in the Champions League they start off their campaign away at the Etihad um, I get paid tomorrow so there is a, a quite a, chance, a fair chance a non-zero chance that some of that paycheck is going to be going on getting me a ticket to that um, because City never sell out um, and I'd like to go and see Zvezda. Um So that isn't the most promising start. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it will be my first live Zvezda game if I do go. Um, it would be rather interesting one to choose one where they're going to get beaten about 6-0, but hey-ho. Um, as for the other two in the group, Leipzig are an interesting one to get really um, definitely a good side you know obviously they beat Bayern in the Super Cup very, did very well to batter um, both Stuttgart and Union Berlin in the uh, Bundesliga recently as well and you know, I think we all know some of the players who were there uh, obviously Benjamin Sesko uh, most importantly for fans of, the, fans of this particular podcast but also yeah Danny Olmo as well, uh, another long-time resident of clubs in this particular podcast's purview. Uh, and then obviously Young Boys, um, who really I think they've got a bit of a dynasty almost going for themselves in uh, the Swiss Super League at the moment. 
um, and have kicked off the season very well. I think it's a group where they can get, where Sviesta can get Europa League qualification through. Uh, you know, really the key fixture for them is match day two, 4th of October, uh, where they host young boys. They will be hoping it is men against boys in that particular one. If they're able to get three points there, um, then you would fancy them to get that Europa League spot uh, for finishing third in the group. Obviously, I don't fancy them to beat City um, because anyone who does would be insane. Um, but they do, I think, fortunately, host City on the final day of group action where they might, you know, again, face a City side who are putting out a weaker than usual squad um, and, as a result, may only lose 2-0 rather than 5-0 um, because we all know the strength in depth City have also I think it's probably fair to also note that that particular game comes in between City playing Luton and City playing Palace so you know they could easily put out their best squad there from a fitness and rotational perspective um, but yes that is our only side in the Champions League uh, unfortunately um, but we will go now to the Europa League and stay with the Serbian side for TSC Basitopola, uh, who have just a horrible group, um, you know, debuting in a European group stage. And you end up in a group with Olympiakos, Freiburg and the reigning defending Europa Conference League champions. Um, sorry, not, they can't be defending. The reigning <laughs> Europa Conference League champions, West Ham. Um, and they open up uh, away in the Olympic Stadium. Uh, sorry, it's not the Olympic Stadium, it's called the London Stadium, against the bubble-blowing Diddies of West Ham. Uh, it's a horrible group, really, for them. Um, and they will do well, I think, to get a point um, from that. And that is absolutely no disrespect whatsoever to TSC. Um, you know, I think probably the opening home game for them on the 5th of October against Olympiacos will be a bit of a spectacle. Uh, I think it's fair to say, you know, Olympiacos always do travel to Serbia and there are complex ultras relations and stuff there that could be fun as well. Um, but yes, I think they'll be doing well if they get more than one point. If they get a, if they get a win from that group, they've absolutely justified their European campaign for me. Uh, but uh, Mr. Coefficient isn't going to be happy with that one. Um, I think it's really fair to say. Um, moving on from them into the Conference League, because that's where everyone else is. Um, and we have... We'll start off with um, the other Serbian side, just for matters of completism. Uh, Kukurici, who have landed themselves in an interesting group, I think it's fair to say, um, against Fiorentina, French, Varos and Henk. Um, I don't necessarily fancy Kukurici's chances of getting out of that group, but I think opening day of the group, they are away at French, Varos. And Fradi, you know have had a very middling European campaign so far. Um, I think they might be able to be caught cold here. Uh, I fancy Gokrichi certainly to get a few, to rack up a few points in that particular group. You know, 
not against Fiorentina, obviously, but I think they might be able to get six points. You know, win a, win, win a pair of home games, and if they're able to topple Ferencvaros in this first game of the group, then you might be talking about them as a side that can get out of the group. Um, I don't feel like they will be detached in that group, as um, I feel with other sides. Um, the Conference League week itself starts actually on the Wednesday um, at the bafflingly scheduled 3.30pm kickoff between Lille and Olympia. Yes, Olympia, of course, Slovenia's sole group representatives after um, Silly were toppled at the playoff stage. Um, and it is an interesting group. Um, I think it's a get-throughable group as well. Um, they are in there with Lille, the conquerors of Rijeka, but K.I. Klaxvik, the Faroese representatives, who, yeah, let's be fair to K.I., have done exceptionally just to get here, but they've done exceptionally in the games that they've done, had to get there. You know, they've not been disgraced in anything uh, and really taken some scouts. Uh, and Slovan Bratislava. Now, Slovan Bratislava watched them against Rinsky um, in the uh, Champions League. Or was it? Yeah, in the in the Champions League qualifiers, and they were no great shakes at all. I think Olympia are better than Zrinski. Um I think Olympia now are better than Zrinski. Then we'll get onto Zrinski in a minute because um, Zrinski have improved since meeting Slovan Bratislava. Um, I would fancy. Olympia to be coming out on top of that particular two game, head-to-head, whatever. I would expect them to do the same against Klaxvik. Which, really, if you're, better, if you're probably better than two sides in your group, means you're going to be second in the group. Um, I don't, obviously, I do not expect Olympia to be taking points off Lille. Um, but I think we can also probably say that maybe by the time the game, the second game against Lille comes around, uh, 30th November 2nd, the penultimate group game, that Lille may already pretty much be through, and as such, um, Olympia may have a chance. Uh, I think the schedule's possibly been slightly kind to them there. Um, you know, particularly if we just sort of talk about Olympia's schedule for, for a moment, you know, they second have the second game hosting Slovan Bratislava, then double header in the Pharaohs, then hosting Lille. Uh, you know, I think there's a chance for them by the end of game four to be on seven or nine points. And if you're in that, then really you're talking about from those final two games hosting you know, potentially a rotated Lille, a very rotated Lille, and then travelling to Bratislava. You know, potentially you're talking about them just needing three points to get through. Um, and it's a case just sort of falling over the line, as it were. Um, for the other sides, um, we have two sides in one group, which of course Dinamo uh, Zagreb, who absolutely... Um, I don't use profanities on this podcast, but um, it's a saying that ends with the words, the bed, um, in the playoff stage of the Europa League to end up in the Conference League. Um, Dinamo haven't really got going this season. Um, They are in a group with Astana, Victoria Pilsen and 
Balkani of Gosfo. Um, I honestly fancy we're going to see ba- Dinamo top, Balkani second in that group. Um, Astana aren't much of anything. Um, they're a they're a formidable home trip, but you know you look at even their form; it's been really poor. They squeezed past Partizani uh, Tirana to get into the uh, group itself and all other three sides in this group are better than Partizani I don't have any doubt about that when it comes to Victoria Pilsen um, you know, again they have uh, been very good so far this season but again you know probably on paper are they they're certainly not better than Dinamo um, I think they're quite reliant on an older guard as well and not going to be the most physical side. I think Balkani can outrun them. Um, but Balkani have done quite a bit of late business in terms of uh, sales of uh, Meriton Kornicha, uh, in particular going to um, going to Turkey. But we've also seen late players come in, Marcelis Magetschi, Benakaricha, uh, Arbenai as well. So they are still going to be a very strong prospect. Uh, for any side facing them I fancy them I, I, I do fancy them to get beyond uh, the group stage um, which is uh, a very confident and very probably soon to be proven wrong prediction um, the, the sort that this particular podcast specialises in uh, finally we have Zrinski Mostar Zrinski Bosnia's first group stage representatives in any European competition, even if the one debatable thing is that people that people might take umbrage with is me describing them as Bosnian. It's where they're located. Um, <laughs> just because they have the checkerboard on their badge and a bunch of Croatians in their side doesn't make them any less based in Bosnia. Um, they've got a, they, like a couple of others we've mentioned, have a group from hell. Um, Aza Valkmar, Leisure Vossel, and Villa. Um, <laughs> really, really, I don't know who they annoyed to get that group. Um, I think as we sort of hinted at for Zerinsky, just to mention them very quickly, you know, they have picked up players towards the end of the um, window to improve themselves. Um, you know, sort of those late ones that they've confirmed. I think Anton Maglicha more recently confirmed he won't be eligible for these games but uh, Luka Lukanic coming in alone from Dino Stipe Radic uh, a quite a impressive get I have to say coming in from Fortuna Sittard and uh, Andrea Balic um, who is apparently fit um, if Balic is fit he is a real difference maker at this level against any of those sides he's far too good for um, the Bosnian League um, but the past couple of seasons, you know, while he's been at uh, DAC uh, Donetsko Streda in, in Slovakia, he's had a heck of a time um, with injuries. Uh, if he's fit and firing, though, whew, they've got themselves a very good deal on a free. Um, so, <laughs> as we say, they have Ezer Altmar, um, which who they won't beat. They have Legivasa who they won't beat, and they have Aston Villa, who they won't beat. They're going to be extremely reliant, I think, on the fact that their last game is against Villa, 
and Villa probably will hopefully will have qualified by that point and if Villa have qualified by, by that point they might just bring the reserves and if they just bring the reserves Zrinski have a chance against them uh, particularly in Mostar on a, what will be a freezing night um, in uh, in Bosnia it's yeah I mean, it's not a great draw for them there's no doubt about that I don't think they'll be disgraced um, you know I've, I've had quite a lot of praise for them um, over the past couple of months uh, just in terms of this being a genouement you know you see so many clubs in the region be so short-termist Zrinski haven't been short-termist you know this is a culmination of three four years of preparation to get them to be firstly the preeminent side in Bosnia which they absolutely are um, at this point and then to push on for a goal beyond that which is getting into a group stage of a European competition you know you might say oh it's only the conference league yeah but for some clubs getting into the conference league group stages is the promised land um not and for some clubs it's it's diversion they might want to do without um but that doesn't lessen uh in any way shape or form the achievement of the sides getting there for whom it is the promised land um so yes um, one thing we'll obviously mention about Zerinsky is the absolute ridiculousness that is the uh, Bosnian Premier League setup. So Zerinsky, um in their uh, aims to get through to uh, group football, they basically get loads of games postponed. So we are six games into the season and Zerinsky have three games in hand already. Isn't that silly? Um, <laughs> for more silliness, as always, do check in with every episode of this particular podcast. We will be back doing a proper just to look at domestic football, because um, obviously we've not really mentioned that this time around. And um, there is plenty going on. I think particularly in Croatia, uh, we mentioned Dinamo haven't really outside who haven't really got going this season. Dinamo are outside who are going to have fun trying to retain their title. Um, I think you know. I think that at some point we will have a is this Hydux year um, focus on an episode um, because whisper it but it just might it just might be um, and with that uh, all that's left for me to say as always thank you very much for taking the time to out of your day to listen if there's anyone you think would enjoy this please do let them know on watch whichever social media you actually still use um or via post smoke signal anything really semaphore um just go for it um if you'd like to hear anything more about um football in the region please do get in touch with me on twitter because I don't think anyone's calling it X still, are they? Um, at H-Y-F-P-R-W, I will pick it up. Um, of particular interest, if you follow me at the moment, you might have seen me going on about Dinamo Tirana, um, <laughs> one of the occasional bits I talk about Albanian football, um, because what's going on there is crazy. Um, so that's, uh, and again, another diversion of a couple of minutes of your time if you want to read about that. If your chosen podcast service has a review, thing within it then do the thing um it all gets visibility and stuff um and also because of what what we've just sort of covered if you are a person who is you know needing anyone to talk about any of the sides in the region for european group stage purposes also hit me up my dms are open um and i don't get that much abuse it's really surprising um 
but I'm always willing to help out uh, talking about the sides in the region. Um, I'm fairly... <laughs> already had people put me in touch with some people for Villa when uh, Zerinsky games come around so I'm look, really looking forward to having the chance to chat about that uh, at some point going forward um, with that sort of outlet um, something that's always a bit of fun um, but yes thank you very much for taking the time to listen and I will catch you next time <laughs>